Welcome to the Trinity Radio Podcast. This podcast has a video component found at youtube.com slash Braxton Hunter. This means you might miss some visual aspects of the show, but it shouldn't have a serious negative effect. We'd love it if you'd run over to the YouTube channel real quick and subscribe. And if you enjoy this content, do us a favor. Take a moment to give us a five-star review on iTunes and mention a couple of things you like about the podcast. If you really appreciate the show, you can help make it better and get extra content for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash trinity radio. Enjoy the show. Welcome. Hi. To the wrong screen on Trinity Radio. I'm so glad that you're all here on the channel that loves atheists. We, we love Christians too, though, and Muslims. It's true. And um, Jews. There's only 21 of you and in here pagans. right now. It's growing rapidly. We love everybody. At the moment, there's only 21. And, um, Jesus makes us. I kind of want to start out on a somewhat somber note. Um, and I'm being serious here. I'm not. I know that um, you might. No, think, I'm the one who does that. Like. Yeah. And then say something stupid. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I really, I really am being serious right now. I can't, I'm not going to give you any details on this, but I know we have a lot of atheists here. I don't really know what the percentage is, but it's a huge swath of our listening audience. And I understand that you're not, if you don't believe, you don't believe in prayer, um, either the power of prayer. You might believe that it's therapeutic in the same way that meditation or something might be therapeutic, but you don't believe in the power of prayer in the sense that Christians understand it. But a huge swath, perhaps the majority, probably the majority of our listeners are still Christian. And to you, I would just ask you at the beginning of this episode, uh, all I really want to say about this is um, in my own life right now, there's something that I would ask your prayer about. Um, and it's very important. I'm not having a good day. I'm not having a good few weeks. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not dying of anything. It's not a medical thing. Uh, it's not that, but just be in prayer uh, for me, please. And uh, just here's what I would ask you to pray. I would ask you to pray that this issue that Braxton's having in his life right now, Lord, that you would um, resolve that for him in a way that's beneficial to the kingdom. And if possible, resolve it today. That would be the prayer I would ask. I mean, you can pray whatever you want, but uh, that's the prayer I would ask. Please know imprecatory prayers for those that know what that is. Um, but that's that's the end of the sad part of the show, and we'll get on to something, well, still sad, because we're talking about atheists dying today. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so anyway, uh, appreciate how have you been. How are things going on Trinity Radio Extra and Theology Geek Fitness. Well, we haven't done a video in a couple of weeks, but Trinity, we were supposed to do a video, but we never did. So that video's got to still come. And then uh, Tim Stratton and I will be chatting about Mullenism on the next episode, so that'll be fun. Tim's been making the rounds with his new book. Yeah, we'll talk about his book a little bit, but I want him to. I want to put him. Th you know, you've always called me a self-loathing Mullenist, mm -hmm. so I'm gonna. I'm going to ask him to answer my gripes and quibbles. Oh, yeah. Because he's the guy to do it, right? Because no. he just came out with a book. He, he is. Yes, books. he is the guy to do it. I'm yeah. also the guy to do it, but he's the guy to do it. Uh, that's yeah, but true. we talk about it all the time. 
So um, today there's an article. So typically, if you're new to the live streams, what um, what what typically I do, uh, we do on these live streams is to have a topic where we talk about that topic for, I don't know, 10, 15 minutes, whatever happens. And then after that, it's Q&A because I recognize that there needs to be some motivation beyond Q&A for some people to watch the show. Um, but uh, many people love the Friday streams that we do just because of the Q&A. Yeah. Or I could say the CNA. Plus, you might it just have gives you a reason to be here yeah. you know, live instead of watching it <clears throat> three days later like I watch everybody's stuff three, three days yeah, later. Yeah, that's right. So, um, so all right, uh, this is an article. Today, the topic that we're going to talk about for a few minutes is from the New York Times. Uh, this is an article, it was an opinion column on how should an atheist think about death? But this is, this is from um, the, the person that's being interviewed here is Todd May, the author of 16 books of philosophy ranging from recent French thought to contemporary ethics. Um, his books include A Significant Life, A Fragile Life, blah, blah, blah. Um, if, you, if you've ever seen the television program, The Good Place, that has been pretty popular, and the whole thing's on Netflix now if you want to watch it. Um, the character Cheaty, who is the ethical, the, the ethical philosopher um, in, that, uh, in that show, uh, everything you're getting from him, you're getting from Todd May, pretty much. I mean, in fact, Todd May even shows up in an episode of The Good Place. So this is not a nobody. The fact that it's an opinion piece, I mean, it's an opinion piece in the New York Times. So they're not just, this is not just nobody. So, um, Here's, here's the question, though, that, that is how should atheists think about death? And that is an interesting question. So let's read a little bit of this. Pritchett, feel free to stop me at any point during my reading of this to make a comment. So the interviewer says, So as an atheist, how do you deal with the fact that you will die as we all will at some point? He says, There is a paradox here, one which I wrote about in my book on death. On the one hand... Our death threatens to sap meaning from our lives. Now, by the way, this is something that Christian apologists say quite a bit. I don't talk about the meaning and purpose thing as much, although I do sometimes. Uh, but, but, the, but this is something that Christian apologists point out. And atheists often say, no, 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 that's not the case at all. When I'm dead, I'll, just, I won't, I'll be thinking about what I was thinking about when the pyramids were being built, which is, that was fine. There was no problem there. So, you know, th this is... Um, that there's never usually any mention at all of the negative side of this that is specific to atheism and not specific to how Christians are thinking about their death. He says, why is this? In other words, why does it sap meaning from our lives, which he grants, which I appreciate. His Do you see here the difference between trained philosophers who are atheists versus random atheists who have an internet platform, right? I figured that'd be YouTube something you want to, yeah. I figured that'd be something you want to jump on, Pritchett, but I'm going to be nice. Okay, he says, we live oriented toward our future. Our most important engagements, career, relationships, hobbies, etc., presuppose future development. Death would cut us off from those developments and thus some of the meaning of our engagements. And it is important to note that because we can die at any time, that threat is a constant one. We live under the shadow of death. Okay, now before I make further comments on that, let me go ahead and get to Trevor Adams, who gives a super chat. Thank you so much. Does Romans 1 teach that there are no true atheists? If so, then why do we use classical arguments like the Kalam contingency, etc.? Romans 1 um, is 
uh, you're specifically talking about how they suppress the truth and unrighteousness and they have no excuse for not believing all those kind of things seems to give the impression if they're suppressing the truth, if it's willful disbelief, then it means that no one is actually an atheist, right? This is what people say. It means that everyone knows and they're just lying about it, basically lying, lying to themselves, lying to others. Uh, Christians don't like sometimes what I say about this and atheists don't like sometimes what I say about this. Here is what the uh, here's what I'm going to say and you'll see why. They don't like anything we say. Well, I know that's, that's <laughs> so. I mean, who cares? But here's the thing. I don't think that a, I think there are there is a concept that is meaningful atheist. And I think it is not true that they're all being disingenuous. They really are atheists and they really don't believe. Okay. I think that much is true. But then how do I make sense of that passage? Well, willful disbelief is still disbelief, right? How you got there is different from where you are right now. Suppressing the truth and unrighteousness suppresses the truth. Right. And, and there are, we human beings are actually very good at deceiving ourselves about about our own thoughts, about ourselves. So practically the way I play this out, and by the way, anyone who wants to get mad and make a video response to me about this, Godless Engineer already did about a year and a half ago. So just go watch his and say amen at the relevant points and you'll feel better. But um, the the thing is, uh, I think that for everyone, there are moments in their lives where God makes it known to them. Now they may say, well, then you're just telling me I'm lying about my experience. Well, there's two things about that. Number one, the reality is that um, lying about your experience, you think that I'm, well, let's just say it this way, that you're, I think that you're wrong about your experiences. Matt Dillahunty will flat get upset and throw a fit if someone tells him that he never had a, that he never was really a Christian or something because they're questioning his experience and think he's wrong about his experience. But then Matt Dillahunty goes around telling us we're wrong about our experience, that we had a relationship with God. So don't get all upset about this. Unwad the relevant parts of your clothing that have gotten um, <laughs> crumpled, right? The point is that I do think it's re- at relevant points in people's lives, they do um, have an opportunity. God makes it known to them in some measure, not Cartesian certainty necessarily. And uh, they accept it or they don't. But but if they don't, this is what the passage is talking about, suppressing the truth. But then once that begins, yes, you're suppressing the truth, so it's been suppressed. You're uh, willfully disbelieving, so you disbelieve. So there are atheists, they really are there, but I just believe God has revealed himself to all people. If in no other way, the very way that Paul references in the passage, look at the created world, it's obvious there's a God. And guess what? To most of human history, including most people alive today, except for a tiny fraction of humanity, most of whom is alive today, everyone else has seen that to be obviously true. So the point is, if you don't believe, the idea is you don't have a good excuse. I actually think you have a better excuse today than you used to, but still I don't have a good excuse, a good enough excuse, because you live in a culture that is fostering that disbelief. But anyway, I hope that answers your question, um, Trevor Adams. Pritchett, anything else to say on that? Well, I mean, yeah, it's it's I, I don't mind saying no true atheist in one sense and as if I, I reject the biblical statement and I have more reason to believe what the Bible says than people's personal experiences anyway. Uh, the Bible for me is the word of God. So you, you holler about that, it, you know, whatever. But I agree with you that the passage itself tells us what they're doing 
and how they can come to be so self-deceived because of the suppression of the truth in unrighteousness that they would claim to have a lack of belief in God or believe there is no God or whatever and, and <clears throat> earnestly mean it. So for me, it's not, for me, it's not any problem with what Paul's on about in Romans 1, you know, but at the same time, I agree with Romans 1 because, you know, if you wanted to put a gun to my head and say, do you think that he's really, really, really an atheist, whatever that means, yeah. you're like, no. Yeah. Be like, no. You know. Uh, but I, I, don't need, I don't need to sit there and say, you know, when the presuppositional apologists say, well, you're not really an atheist. No, you're not. You, no, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. That, right. that, that's, I mean, for all intents and purposes, they are, and they— <coughs> And to me, that almost smacks as a denial of Romans 1. What, what you, you think they're not suppressing the truth and unrighteousness? Right. <laughs> I mean, what, what are we saying That's here? a good point. I so, like I that. mean, what, do, at what point do you balance all of those things? So, I do think it's good because, you know, I agree with— Was it Norman Geisler? I don't know. Try not to faint, Nick Quinn. I did agree with Norman Geisler about one thing. Uh, you know, when he said— he, he, I think he said the phrase, the image of God has been defaced, but it's not erased— and we unpacked That's good. last week's show what we thought the image of God was mm -hmm. and what was included as the capacity to reason. So I do think that there is use in the apologetic arguments that can convince reasonable people, as uh, William Lane Craig <clears throat> often quotes that one atheist in his opening statement. You, you have that memorized. You know what I'm talking about. Like the, a, 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 reason, a, a reasonable person will accept an argument. Oh, yeah. Know, yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah, a, a reason, an argument is what it takes to convince even a reasonable person. Yeah. Uh, a proof is should convince even the un unreasonable. Right, something, something along those but lines. But let's move on because Herbie Schmervy says, yeah. oh, no, you guys are getting rabbit trail. He's absolutely right. So let's get back on to Todd May. Yeah, you know how you rabbit trail us? Give us some money. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> no, now they won't give us money, so we won't get rabbit trail. Yeah. Um, all right, so... Uh, so what is he saying here? He's, he's making a really good point. By the way, also in this article, this is another rabbit trail. He actually is asked about atrocities done by atheists in the 20th century. And even though atheists will say, well, those are atheist regimes that killed a lot of people, but it didn't have anything to do with their atheism. Um, he is an atheist philosopher, and he's like, no, it was connected directly to their atheism. Right, it's a worldview thing. Or it's indirectly. the same, same thing I've said on Trinity Radio Atheists. Mm -hmm. I said uh, Christians need to own the dirty laundry in our historical uh, camper. So, yeah. what's, what's so, okay. so, so here's Bad what he's saying, happen. though, about, about death. Jesus. So we're going to die. And he says that does take some of the meaning out of it. Because most of the most important things you do are future-oriented. And since you don't know at what point you're going to die... And since you ultimately will die, it, the meaning in any given moment, there's less meaning because you could die tomorrow. And ultimately, there's no meaning because you will die one day. Now, um, I'm going to help him out a little bit here. First of all, Christians, let's compare this. Cr Christians don't have those problems because whether you think Christianity is true or not, we think it's true. So we'll die thinking it's true and thus be probably a little more peace because of that. Yeah. But if we we know that if we die tomorrow what we're working on today still matters cuz there's still mm -hmm. a tomorrow for us and for everybody else right and if we die at the end of our lives hopefully we've done good work for the kingdom and then we're going to go be a part of uh the visible kingdom in heaven right so this this isn't 
this isn't a problem for Christians, whether you think Christianity is true or not, but it is a problem for atheists. What does that leave? Well, it leaves a couple of things. It leaves stuff you do for your kids. Like you could say, okay, even if I knew I was going to die five years from now, I could work on things with meaning and purpose to benefit my kids after they're, after I'm gone. This is the, this is the foundation for the show breaking bad. You've got a chemistry teacher who knows he's going to die of cancer. So as a result, he becomes a drug dealer so that he can make a bunch of money for his family after he's gone. Not that you would have to do that to help your family, but you could have a meaning or a purpose in a short amount of time if you thought that you were doing it for some higher good, which would be like your family or the next generation or something like that. And that's fair enough. But um, you realize that then they could die at any minute and they will ultimately die and everyone will, all of us all ultimately die. And so if you extrapolate his point out to its, to the, uh, its logical conclusion, that's really off the board for anything real, ultimate. Okay, so what does that leave then? That leaves something else. That leaves, me, uh, that leaves uh, meaning and purpose in terms of uh, immediate meaning. Stuff that gra- is gratified now. We don't have to worry about tomorrow or next year. I can eat this food right now and it's good. I can get drunk right now. I can have sex right now. Those things I can do now and the gratification is now and that's all there is to it. Yeah. Hedonism, basically. Yeah. And, and, you know, there's a lot of people who've seen a logical connection there, right? But here's the thing about that. Number one, those things are often the end result of you having worked toward a future event, that future event. Um, and if that's all you've got, is that really all that meaningful? Maybe you think it is, but it's kind of like you say, hedonism. It's just, I mean, and, and often is there's not much morality in that. So I think that he makes a really good point here. Yeah, now, what, what, he, what he's essentially doing is he is conceding William Lane Craig's absurdity of life argument. Yeah. And he's, and he's essentially conceding the fact that, you know, when atheists try to say, yeah, we can find meaning and purpose in our lives, we need to be productive people, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but in, in that doesn't really matter either, right? So at best what you can hope for because you don't know when that end's going to happen none of us do for that matter is the immediate pleasures now because that's really whatever you're currently experiencing well it could be your final experience or or not but you may as well try to get as many of those as you can because what there's no there to prepare for right right so it, it you can deceive yourself you know but What's the point in that when you can you can chase the higher pleasures you right. know, and immediate gratification or the lower pleasures? We might yeah. Say. Or the lower yeah. Pleasures. OK, we got another super chat. Thank you so much for that five dollar super chat. Jay Jay says, if we reason that the creator of time, space, time and space must be timeless and spaceless, must we also say the creator of mind must be mindless if that makes sense? Well, the so this comes from, in case someone doesn't know, the idea that okay, we're talking about, we're trying to give an explanation for the physical universe. And the physical universe is fundamentally made up of three things, time, space, and matter. So whatever is the cause of time, space, and matter must be timeless, spaceless, and non-material. Otherwise, uh, it couldn't be the creator of those things. Because if you find space, time, and matter somewhere, that's part of what we're trying to explain to begin with. Now, the reason, so there's a couple of problems here. Number one, space-time 
would require if if it if we had if the reason that the creator has to, the the beginner whatever the cause has to be spaceless and timeless isn't just because it's the cause of space and time but also because if space time exists then you have an infinite regression which is impossible just it, it just stretches back infinitely into the past that's impossible so that's off the table immediately and you didn't bring up matter but with mind what we need to understand is we're trying to find out not only what the cause was, but here's where we flip over to a contingency argument. We're also trying to find out what is necessary. What is the necessary first cause? What has philosophical necessity? And space and time and physical matter and things like that don't need to have, uh, don't have necessity. Um, they're, they're contingent things. And so you're looking for what is necessary. So the fact that there are minds in the physical universe I mean, you could just extrapolate that out to, uh, to, you know, indefinitely and say, well, the universe has existence. Does that mean the thing that caused the universe doesn't have existence? Now, the reason that we pick these key features, space, time and physical matter, is because these are the things that comprise the universe itself. But the things within it, the mind, for example, I actually think there's something else with mind going on than just stuff in the physical universe as we typically think of it. Brains. We actually do think there is something there. And when you get into this um, discussion, what you realize is there's either idealism or uh, materialism. Now, when you hear idealism, you typically think of um, uh, Barclay and, and here on YouTube, Inspiring Philosophy. Edward, that's, Jonathan Edwards, and Jonathan Edwards. That's not the kind of idealism I'm talking about. That is, that, is the, that is a specific understanding of idealism. Idealism, flatly put, I mean, just let's say mere idealism is that mind is fundamental. Mind uh, comes before matter. Um, materialism says no matter gives rise to mind, right? Those are your only options, really. So we're trying to figure out what came first. And so if when we're talking about the cause of the physical universe, matter, then, well, then it has to be mind. Mind came first. And so that's kind of how we look at that. you want to add anything? Yeah, and the reason why we say, you know... It, extremely powerful and kind of a disembodied mind is I think the, the phrase that uh, William Lane Craig would use. And I like that phrase. And the reason why you need that is you need, you need the significant, you know, the um, significantly powerful call first cause to have to, to have a reason for causing it. Right. And so, and, and so we give that, that sense of agency yeah. You know, you apply that agency to mind. But, it, you know, just because if the universe contained all the necessary components for mind, mm -hmm. like if you just if you're an atheist or, or, or not just an atheist, say you're a, a metaphysical naturalist, mm -hmm. then you're assuming that mind is merely a product of the brain, that you cannot have <clears throat> mind without without the brain. Yeah, but I but that's a philosophical commitment. That's not any sort of scientific necessity, and it's certainly not a philosophical necessity because we can certainly imagine it being logically possible for a disembodied mind to exist sans any sort of brain required to generate the mind. So mm -hmm. that's why we. So you you don't need when you say if it's timeless and spaceless doesn't it need to be mindless no it actually when you unpack the kalam for what kind of cause was it mind becomes a necessary component of that in order to have a reason to bring it about uh by the way one housekeeping thing before we move on um 
I want to say that if you, what we're going to do here, I think this is a good way to do this since we're kind of landing on a format for our Friday live streams, mm -hmm. uh, s simple, small topic and Q and a, um, the way we're going to do this is we, we so appreciate super, super chats and we definitely like getting them. Um, but what I'm going to do is if you, if you give a super chat, I'm going to read it pretty well when I get it. So I've got a couple to read here, but then everybody else, I still want to get to your questions. And that's what we'll do after we get done with the initial um, topic, topic. That, that we're dealing with. Also, I don't know if he's here, but Benjamin David Stowell, thank you so, so much for your uh, pledge on Patreon and for anyone nice. who's a patron. And if you want to give to patron and get lots of stuff that um, you don't just get on the channel, you can do that at patreon.com slash Trinity radio. You can get five seminary level courses um, with PowerPoint, a bunch of free eBooks, lost episodes that we never released and things like that. Okay. All right. Uh, so uh, Jose Martinez gives a super chat $5. Happy Friday, Braxton and Dr. Pritchett. I love this channel and we love you. Yes. Jim Amberg says, hello from the Buckeye Trail. Have a great weekend. Thank you, Jim. We refer to Jim as our channel angel. And John Buck set up an interview between me and Craig Reed that happened yesterday. And I did really enjoy it. He said, that was a great interview between you and Craig Braxton. Maybe we should get Pritchett on next time. I absolutely think you, I can tell you this, and there's people that have interviewed me that are present in this live stream right now. Mm -hmm. But that was one of the most enjoyable interviews I've ever had. It was fantastic. Nice. And he's a hairdresser, so when you go on there, ask him about that. Really? Okay. Well, put it in the... Is he in the chat still? If he's still in the chat, put in, are you a barber or... Well, John Buck is his right-hand man, but he's not yeah. Craig Reed. Oh, well, so, I, I'm curious if it's a barber... No, or a just cosmetologist. hairdresser. Cosmetologist. Cosmetologist. Yeah. Okay, um, let's get back to this topic now. Uh, so, and I will come back to all the questions where you did not give us money. You do not have to give us money to get your questions asked. You just have to get, to get them immediately asked because otherwise I'll forget about them and then that won't be fair. Okay, um, so he moves on now to the next thing though. So he thinks that those are, that's the negative of atheists when it comes to death is it sucks meaning and purpose out of life. This is from an atheist. Except, well, I mean... Except for immediate gratification. Except for, I mean, it's buying... And possibly in, what you're doing for other generations. Right, but that... But ultimately that ends. Right, and, and it's buying into the premise that uh, we sometimes make on our side that there is no ultimate purpose, and any sort of purpose you're creating for yourself can be... You can undermine it very easily just by thinking about it thinking yourself through because that's what he does he thinks through these it's like yeah we can invent some sort of higher purpose but that still in the end doesn't matter right so that's right uh that's one thing that we can appreciate um about his thinking on this because i agree yeah with that there is ultimately no meaning no purpose and pursuing instant gratification and instant pleasures is about the best you're making of this meaningless purpose purposeless life that you're living yeah. So let's uh, let's get to the next thing. Now, here's what he thinks is bad for Christians about death. Yes. On the other hand, without mortality, our lives would eventually become shapeless. If we lived forever, as some philosophers have pointed out, it would be difficult to sustain our enthusiasm for even many of our most significant uh, engagements to see why we need to recognize how long immortality lasts. Here is one scenario that is used to see this. Imagine a desert the size of the Sahara. Every 10,000 years, a bird comes along and plucks a single grain of sand from the desert. By the time the Sahara has been cleared, not a single flicker of immortality would have passed. So 
um, his point is that, look, that you'd get bored with everything. <laughs> it's basically it. Heaven's going to be boring because you're going to get, eventually you'll have done everything, seen everything, gone everywhere, all that kind of stuff. And, uh, and you'll wish you could kill yourself. Now, this guy, again, was an informer for the show. Um, uh, it was for the, the good place. I wonder if anybody in the chat has seen the good place. If you do, just maybe push the letter Muggles T or something. Cake Sniffer says, I disagree that hedonism is the apex of life of a non-believer. Great. I don't think uh, we said that. I think he he's I think he's disagreeing with this author. Oh, okay. That, that the these simple gratification instant gratification things. Um, well, see that's that's the great thing for non-believers. You can pick your own apex and still realize it doesn't matter what I pick because it's all meaningless anyway. So uh, I expect there to be disagreements uh, among non-believers. Everyone's going to invent their own apex to help themselves feel better about their inevitable end and try to give their life purpose while consciously recognize it if they're a clever atheist that there is none tim doring caught what i said okay a few of them have seen the good place if you've seen it all the way through if you haven't seen it all the way through i'm about to destroy the ending okay so um if so if you if so if you're really enjoying the good place you're not done yet just maybe skip ahead uh like two minutes or something oh, yeah. spoiler but warning big spoiler alert big um, spoiler alert you need to put spoiler alert on the screen so, so people who skip through this or listen at three times speed well, well that's their fault so um so here's so here's what happens the the this is valuable this is important so basically what happens is uh our main character is basically is this young woman um what's her name Kristen, not Kristen, not i always want to say Kristen, kirsten dunce but that's not it that's not and anyway somebody will put it in the chat anyway she she wakes up and in front of her is a sign on the wall that says relax you're fine or, or welcome you're everything's fine and she goes in and Ted Danson, because I mean, who else do you want to meet when you first get to heaven is Ted Danson, right? Um, apparently. And she sits down and he explains to her that she's in the good place. Um, but it, turn, it turns out that this is not the good place. This is actually the bad place. She knows she's not supposed to be in the good place, but they're making her think she's in the good place. And this becomes torture for her. And really, Ted Danson is a demon trying to trick four people into thinking that they're in the good place when they're in the bad place and putting them in awkward situations to torture them psychologically. Um, in the last season, they finally get to the real, real good place, the heaven place, the actual heaven place. Kirsten Bell. That's right. Thank you. Um, and when they get there, the, the philosopher of the group, whose name is Chidi, wants to meet this famous philosopher. So he goes to find this famous philosopher and her brain is like jelly. She can't even hardly formulate an intelligible sentence. Why? Because she's been here for at least hundreds, if not thousands, if not billions of years or whatever. And as a result, she's done everything you can do. And they begin to experience this as characters. They've done everything you can do. They've seen everything you can see. They've built everything you can build. They've learned everything you can learn. And there's just nothing left to do. And it becomes torture and it begins to dehumanize them and destroy them. So the solution that they came up with early on when they're in the heaven place is to put a door there where if you walk through the door, we don't really know for sure what's going to happen. But the idea is that you're going to dissolve into the fabric of the universe and no longer exist. You'll be annihilated in some sense is the idea. And eventually all but one of them, I think, end up going through the door. Mm -hmm. And Ted Danson decides to become a human so he can go to life. And be be a human in this world, and then ultimately one day go through the door. And so it, it, this raises this problem, and this Todd May here is probably responsible for that plot line. 
his, because he probably would have raised this. Now, this problem, this supposed problem for Christians is resolved quite simply by someone put it, Hervey Schmervy or somebody put it earlier, no BDS or somebody put that you would never get, you could never get bored. Like I could get bored of making videos for YouTube. Okay. I can't imagine that because I love doing it, but I could maybe get bored. Give me a thousand years doing this. I'm probably ready to get out of this chair and move on to something else. And you are too. But the presence of God, could I ever get bored of being in the presence of God? I know that just sounds like spiritual platitudes, but seriously, this is the, this is, this is, I mean, what gets better than that? And here's the other thing. Is if that you Laurie's comment? If I you like don't, that one. Well, let's see. Where's that? Right there. Okay. Goodness. Are atheists defining heaven in terms of natural humans? Good. God keeps us very inspired throughout. Okay. Now see, now that's one thing, Laurie, Laurie. That I'm gonna that I'm gonna raise. That's good. So it may well be that just being in the presence of God and creation as He intended it, for which the garden was a prototype, that just might not ever happen naturally. But secondly, there are simple ways of thinking about how God could do this, such that it wouldn't be a problem. Number one, do you know that you have genes in your body that certain um, a certain geneticist can turn that gene off and then maybe you were going to get cancer. Now you're not going to get cancer. They just turn it off like a switch. I mean, it's more involved than that, I'm sure. Uh, but that, but that's how it works. Well, you don't think the creator of the universe could just turn off your boredom so that you just don't have that problem anymore, right? I don't see why that's a problem. Um, if you really don't like that and you, I just, that's just too, I need something more earthy. Okay. I don't think this is the case. Either I need something more earthy or God did that for me already. And so it's entirely <laughs> possible because unlike my teenagers who baffle me with this phrase and friends of mine and adult, I, I don't utter the phrase I'm bored. I, I haven't been bored in 15, 15, 20 years. You're really good at looking bored when I'm talking sometimes. But when you have what's in this head, buddy, you never, you can always stay entertained. <laughs> no, I'm not bored. I just, uh, you, you say very things. So I just haven't been bored. And so it's either possible that God can turn off that switch for people because he's done it for me or you folks out there, if you're bored, it's your problem. So let's take his grain of sand. Mm -hmm. Okay. He's given me some as the Sahara, right? One grain at a time. Mm -hmm. It's giving me an idea of something I want to do in, in the new heavens and new earth. I want to move the Sahara now, one grain of sand at a time. Because he's right, it won't scratch the surface. But it will take up time. Have fun with that, and how, Well, how do you know it's not going to be awesome when you do it? Like, uh, imagine, I would. is it possible to pick up a single grain of sand and move it and eventually move the entire desert? Yeah, that seems like it's logically possible. How You're do you so know ambitious. That, how do you know that that would be boring? That's going to be, hey, this is like a... You don't know that that's boring. You can make that into like a haiku or something. This is like a some some Zen Pritchett sort of thing. How do you move the desert one right. grain at a time? Right, one grain at a time <laughs> for all eternity. And if you pick a desirable location to move it to, you know, there's places... Are, are you move you move the to multiple sites, say, that, uh -huh. that, that you enjoy getting to? Well, you've got to... I, I don't believe that timelessness is a feature of the new heavens and new earth. I believe that it will. That doesn't make any sense. Temporary. Timelessness. What do you mean? Timelessness? I don't think that like God sans cosmos timelessness. 
I don't yeah. think that that's going to be of what Of course it's like. not. Well, there are people who I know. I'm reacting like this, are, so you will remember me reacting right. like this because church people ask some of the have some of the most bizarre questions or thoughts about the nature of time in heaven. Right. I, I, I've I, over the 15 years I was traveling itinerantly and preaching in churches all over. You don't know how many times I got the question from somebody of every age group who would say, you know, music is so amazing, right? Yeah. 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 It's all based on time, right? Yeah. Yeah. Time, time beats all that. What's music going to be like in heaven when there's no time? And it's like this is how youth group kids have stoner talk without the weed, and it's <laughs> yeah. obnoxious. I cannot stand. That's another T-shirt, <laughs> right? So, so anyway, this project, I, I just cannot possibly see this being a problem. I've heard this objection before. He's not the first person I've heard make this. That oh, you would get so bored in heaven, and not just because people have mis idea mis misunderstandings about oh, we're going to be playing harps and singing for all eternity and all that. Well whatever it's going to be like in the new heavens and new earth, I just don't see boredom as a part of it. And I don't see boredom as a problem if it were to be part of it. Because I can remember in times past mm -hmm. that boredom was actually a good thing. It's It would probably be a good thing for me if I decided to not constantly not be bored. Like, I need to maybe carve out some space to try my best to be bored because I could remember being bored. Like when I was a kid and stuff, there's just being nothing to do. Yeah. There was always a million things to do. I just didn't do it. But when you are bored and you, you, you use those times to figure out how to entertain yourself or to, to, to find simple joys and things like that in life. So I think there's, there's like good life building elements from boredom. Mm -hmm. But I also agree with Tom Hanks in a, uh, commencement speech that he gave uh, i think a year ago or whatever where he says we've eliminated boredom now and he's right mm -hmm. i haven't been bored in years yeah and so the idea that if i can constantly be amused or entertained or focused or or busy or whatever it is to not be bored mm -hmm. in this world of all places why think that right. it would be so so look if you if you if boredom is something that you suffer now you're not making the most of your boredom because you should be finding ways to do new things to not be And bored. you're also assuming you're going to have exactly the same desires in heaven and think about things the same way you do now. I'm not saying you'll be depersonalized or something. It'll be the same conscious experience going forward. But, uh, you know, like the, the answer we give to why won't there be sin in heaven? Are you saying we won't have free will? No, it's not like you want to sin and in heaven you just won't be allowed to. I believe you'll be free such that, lo is it logically possible that you could sin in heaven? Not all Christians think this, but I think so. I just yeah. think that nobody ever will because right. the idea will be absurd. Right. And I think in the same way, wanting to die? We call why, this the why? eating dirt argument, yeah, right? That's so, right. But real quick, Laurie makes a good point, though. One of those is we don't know what the vision of God will be. We don't know how that will affect us, the very essence of life and being and all those kind of things. So I think that's a really good, uh, really good point. Now, uh, someone says here, Jonathan, they, they like your phrase that I said should be a T-shirt. Um, God bless you guys. The work you guys do is very appreciated. I'd buy a stoner talk minus weed tea. <laughs> Pretty radio, so, <laughs> stoner talk minus the weed. Yeah, stoner talk minus the weed. All right, so that's the end of the topic. Let's go back now and look at some questions. This is the fun part of the show. Um, I could do a whole Trinity Radio extra on giving people ways to eliminate boredom because I think that's important. 
I, I can't understand how anyone gets. Did you read Crucifixion of the Warrior God? Yeah, a long time ago. Okay, so uh, what do you think of that book by Greg Boyd, basically, where God suggests God allowed His name to be messed up due to Israel's hardened heart? Yeah. I don't, I don't buy it. I, I don't buy it either. But I loved all sixteen hundred some odd pages of both volumes of the Crucifixion of the Warrior God. It is a phenomenal book. It's got a lot of useful ideas and information in there. It's got a stunner of a bibliography, especially for those who are interested in New Testament use of the Old Testament. There was stuff in, in that he had cited in there that I had not even read, and I was like, oh, great. So big books like that are helpful because they have also big bibliographies. So I love the book. I love Greg Boyd's writing. I love his scholarship. It's complete ace, and I ultimately was not convinced. So no, I I, I, well, I think I think highly of Greg Boyd. I think highly of the book. It is a fascinating read. It didn't feel like you're reading. It's it's kind of like Paul and the Faithful is God. It didn't feel like you're reading this mammoth, you know, magna opus. It it's really a for as the size of it. It you don't want to put it down. It's really exhilarating to read. I just don't agree with it. Yeah, uh, and I think um, you know the thing that's clever. I just don't agree. The, with for those it. that don't know what we're talking about, Greg Boyd's book basically says that uh, he basically let Israel do, uh, like Israel attributed what was going on to God's will or whatever yeah. that God told him to do this, and God just kind of let it happen. Yeah. You know, I, I, I don't, I don't, I, so in other words, the, the bad stuff in the Old Testament that you don't like, you're like, how could God do that? Um, it's explained because that's just Israel yeah. putting, projecting that onto God. Here's the thing about it, though. That, that, that presents the, or presumes that, the things that God is said to have done in the Old Testament are bad. And I just think they seem bad to atheists who want them to seem bad. They seem bad to Christians who haven't thought deeply about what the reasons are given in the Bible for these things. And there are some passages that admittedly are just really difficult for our eyes in the modern day to figure out. But you have to make the case that these are bad things that God needs to be absolved of to begin with. And here's the thing. Most of the same people who make these charges against God in the Old Testament, um, and he thinks he's going to resolve it by saying, well, that's just them projecting onto God. Those same people don't think any of, some of that stuff ever even happened historically anyway. So it's not going to resolve it for them. So I, I just, I'm out. Well, and, well, and in Boyd's defense, I mean, he will affirm that there was a flood that wiped out. So, I mean, it's not like he's saying nothing bad that modern sensibility thinks about God never really actually happened or that God didn't actually do it. So he's not taking that much of And I, I do want to say this. There's a lot in that book that I did agree with Yeah. as well. It's just that the bits that I, that, 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 that I got to nod my head saying, yeah, yeah, yeah. It didn't add up to where his ultimate conclusion was something that I accepted. Mm -hmm. That doesn't mean I reject everything in the book. And I want to make that clear because I highly recommend that book. I think everyone should read it. And I think there's a lot of valuable stuff in it. I mean, of course there is. It's huge, right? Uh, and it's well-written and there's a lot of agreeable stuff, a lot of agreeable stuff. I mean, he, he makes the case about, you know, he says crucif uh, uh, cruciform, but just, just, Christocentric in general, or yeah. Christotel, whatever, yeah. however you phrase that. A lot of good stuff about that. He, I think he, I think he sells that. I think that he makes a great case about some of the early church fathers and patristics and how they thought about them. So there's a lot of useful information in there that I think is solid scholarship. It's just as a 
block, I agree with the block as a block in his overall argument didn't work for me. I, I didn't accept his overall argument, but it is a fantastic book. I highly recommend it. So the next thing I, I want to throw up here, uh, Hervey Schmervy says, I've met atheists who say that temporal life is far better than eternal life and eternal death gives us meaning and value. Here's a question. Is a rose, does a rose smell good? Is a rose beautiful? Unless you're the kind of person that punches puppies. Yes, roses are pretty and roses smell good. Or you're a teenage girl in the suburbs who just wants to say no because you like saying no to <laughs> right. everything. And wears all black and goes goth. And right. Does okay, is... Writes teenage death poetry. Is the, is the rose... Her pillow. So, the, you th so if I hand you a rose, Pritchett, and I said, how's this smell? Oh, it smells nice. Is it pretty? Of course it's beautiful. God made it. Whatever. Okay. Does it make it less pretty if you know that it's going to die in 10 minutes? No. Does it make it less pretty if it dies in 10 minutes than if it died a hundred years from now? No, it's still pretty either way. Mm -hmm. And so this thing is garbage. Okay. Um, you know, the, one of the Cylons in, in, uh, Battlestar Galactica wanted to die because she had concluded that it is the finality of, of existence that gives your existence meaning. And, you know, that sounds somewhat interesting on the surface of it. Mm -hmm. Sounds poetic. Yeah, sounds very poetic. Okay. But you know what you never get? What? Why? Yeah. Why? Yeah. Why? Why is that the thing that gives it purpose? Yeah, it's a step above stoner talk, right? Yeah, I mean, because <laughs> the idea is, oh, it gives it meaning and purpose because there's an end to it. Well, this guy would disagree because he says the fact that there's an end to it demonstrates flatly and i agree with our guy here today that there no there is no meaning well you know in the in the good place there's like one character from jacksonville florida which is where i was lived for the first 10 years of my life and he's like the the you know frat boy type guy doesn't know anything really dumb and uh he gets there and what he does is he wants to play the perfect game of like madden or something on video game like he wants to he wants to play the perfect game and he finally does it after however many thousands of years and he's like i am ready to die now that's all I really wanted to accomplish. And it's like, is that the kind of person you are? Is that is that the level of meaning that, I mean, because I think for most people, and also remember God, like, let's say you did everything you could do in the world and you moved to Jonathan's desert and all those kind of things, and you've done it all. You can't do anything else. You've learned everything. We have a creator for king. He can create another universe. Start again. Do something there. Yeah. It's just, it can go There's on There's this idea that... You become omniscient when you enter heaven. Like Christians even sometimes give the impression. Who would say that? that? Again, I know people say right. that. I <laughs> want people saying, to see my yeah. shock at yeah, that. Yeah, so there's there's this uh, th this impression. How much you, it would take you plenty of time to learn everything there is to learn. Now, some people have no interest in learning anything new, and that's mm -hmm. fine too. There, I just do not see how you could ever in that kind of environment run out of things to be interested in. Yes. Ever. God hasn't given up interest in his own self. And so he's an inexhaustible resource of stimuli. Okay. So Pigs I can just, fly yeah. says, obviously it's far more valuable to know that you could die, but obtain eternal life. And then, um, she says some other things. 
They just say that to be obnoxious and remain uncritical of thinking. I mean, I think that some of them think this makes sense. And when you like when you I, I don't know why I'm talking so much about the show is just because we finished it a couple nights ago. But when you see the final season of The Good Place, you get it. It's not that I don't get what they're saying. I'm just saying there's easy ways to resolve it. They tried a couple of ways in the show, like maybe after every billion years, we'll just wipe everyone's memory and they'll it'll be like the first day they entered heaven again. Um, you know, that actually would be a solution that they don't provide a good criticism of on the show. But I don't think that's how God does it, but he could. You know, I mean, I just I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's look for some more good questions. I have a prayer request right now. Please pray for my brother, Gary. He's having chest pains and he's in the ER. Oh, well, we'll let's pray right now on the stream. Yeah. Father, um, we pray that you would be with Jonathan's brother and we pray that you would um, work healing. And if you heal him um, through the work of a physician's hand, we'll be just as happy as if you miraculously heal him. We pray that uh, there would be no problem in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. All right. Um, what else do we have for questions? There was a bunch. I know there was, but I, you know, they don't put question in front of it like I need them. They put at Trinity Radio. Not anymore. Well, it doesn't always show up. Um, yeah, they're saying things that we've said. Some of them. Okay, here's a question. Trinity Radio question: Expect to have experiences of uh, should Christians expect to have experiences of Jesus? Prayers often answered, etc. I personally haven't had religious experiences, but I'm a Christian because of the evidence. So I talked about this on Craig Reed's show, and I talked about it last week on one of our episodes. This is it. So you are not guaranteed that by becoming a Christian, you're going to have all of the experiential feels that some Christians claim to have had. Um, Jonathan, Jonathan McClatchy, who's an apologist and has a PhD in biolo biological evolution, he says that he has never had any experience of God like that's that he like an internal experience he only believes because of the publicly available evidence and so whenever I talk about experiences I've had because I have had at least two one that's most prominent that were obviously to me experiences of God I always preface it with if you haven't had that you're not a second-class citizen um, is a, a second-class critic Christian and it doesn't mean anything like it doesn't mean that there's no God. It just it just means you haven't had that yet. So um, I went it wasn't until I was 17 that I had any kind of an experience like that. And then it, from there from there, it wasn't until I was about 28 before I ever had another experience like that. And as far as prayer, I'm almost 40 years old now. I'm sorry, my phone keeps making ding sounds because Kurt Jarris of Apologetics 315 keeps texting me. But um, instead of watching the show and realizing instead of we're watching the, the show, but which is uh, a good reason but to chastise him. Here, here's the thing, I, I um, I I, I so uh, what was I going to say? You can you can. I'm almost 40 years old. He's way older than 40 years old. Way and older so, than 40. Way and so, so far past 40. You could go a long time you know, in terms of answered prayers, you, sh you shouldn't expect to have every prayer answered. The Bible gives us caveats for how your prayer should be. They shouldn't be done just for selfish gain. They should be done in Jesus' name, which doesn't just mean putting Jesus at the end of it as a good luck charm, but it means you're asking in alignment with what his will would be. In 1 John, it tells us to pray according to God's will. And these kind of things are ways that you can know that your prayer has the best chance of being uh, answered. And by the way, none of those prayer studies that Dillahunty trots out all the time to prove that prayer doesn't exist ever take those into account. Um, so if you're going to do good research, you need to take that stuff into account. So bottom line is I have had many answered prayers that were extremely specific. 
so many of those that I don't really think it's relevant to doubt them anymore. But atheists who are atheists until they were 16 years old and then they've never been a Christian or they were Christians until they were 16 years old and then they left the church. I'm not surprised when they tell me they didn't have all these incredible answered prayers. You hadn't done enough living yet um, as a Christian. So um, I just say keep, keep, keep serving the Lord, Jose. Um, and that's the main thing. And I believe you will see things like that, but that doesn't mean anything. Yeah, let me, let me tell you. <laughs> My wife has obvious prayers answered on a regular basis. She has religious experiences on a regular basis. Not like uh, charismatic experiences, but, you know, like trans, you know, transcendent experiences and things like that. I don't either, Jose. Um, I've probably had one or two. I don't know. Um, but I look at my wife's life, and I guess that's like the thing that I have to constantly see her uh, get all these obvious prayers. It's like, I don't know, she's, she, she's one of the the fortunate blessed or whatever word we want to use. Cause I see it in her life all the time. That's kind of a confirmation for me that, you know, you don't get to have that kind of thing, but I'm going to, God wants to torture me with having me see it all in her life. So I don't know, man. Um, but yeah. I, I'm there with you. It, it, I see it in other people, uh, especially my wife on a regular basis. I, I don't have those kind of things either. I just, I'm just a lowly servant of Jesus. Okay. Here's a question. Great question. Um, honestly, atheist says if aborted babies go to heaven, is it true to say that the tragedy of abortion is appropriately centered on souls of the mothers and the doctors and not the life of the baby? So in the, the question is then, look, these babies are all going to heaven. So we don't need to worry about that. The, the, the real issue is that this mother and this doctor are doing something, are, are doing something evil and wicked yeah. and sinful. Um, I think that's certainly true, but the first part of that, is it not a problem? So there's a couple of things about this. First of all, atheists that I've seen, not you, but but atheists that I've seen commenting because I did an abortion video that was released yesterday, um, I, I, they say things like, why are you guys so worried about all these babies dying? They're all just going to go to heaven. And, and, and God did all these uh, things where babies died, in the old, like the flood in the Old Testament. So why does it matter if we could? Be, okay, first of all, understand something. You're not God. Okay, God is the giver of life and the guarantor of what happens after death. Now, even if you don't believe in God or any of those sorts of things, if you're going to critique this thing internally by pointing me to what God does, understand the framework internally. God is the guarantor of what happens in the afterlife. He's the creator. You don't have the same rights that God has. And someone challenged me the other day because uh, from last week's stream, because I said something like that. And they said, well, look, we all do have the same rights in America. The government doesn't have different rights. It's just that the individuals within the government all have the same rights we do. It's just the government altogether can do the death penalty or whatever. Right. It doesn't resolve the analogy because God is the government in heaven. God is the authority. It's not a, it's not a democracy in that sense. And so God's the creator. God can do as he pleases. And you're very fortunate that we have a God who will do justly. That's the thing that matters. He's a loving God who will do justly. So if God decides it's best to take one of his kids home, a baby in a pagan society or something, let's say, like in Canaan, God can do that because guess what? God can make sure that what that kid experiences on the other side of death is actually far better than what he would have experienced before. 
But that doesn't really get direct. So that's just to settle that issue that you didn't raise, honestly, atheist. Second thing, though, about this is, while I am highly confident of my doctrinal perspective about uh, what happens when the unborn die or when infants die and the age of accountability sort of doctrine and all those kind of things, I can't be 100% certain of it. And since life and death is on the line, I don't function as though I can be 100% certain of it. Um, and so that's important to take into account too. Lastly, one thing that, I, that I've been, that's been made clear to me is this is something God is doing in the womb. Now, again, you're asking me within my faith how my faith answers this. I think a case can be made against abortion without bringing my faith into it insofar as the people interested have some sort of morality that involves human rights, okay? So that's the video that I did yesterday is all about that. But you're asking me a question about within my faith. And within my faith, um, the, the way I answer this is, I'm told that's God. Job says that God molded him in the womb. Uh, God told Jeremiah that he that he had, knew him and crafted him in the womb. Um, we find out that when w- that that, that uh, babies can leap for joy in the womb as other persons. This is something God's doing, and I just think it's one of the it's like a form of blasphemy to slap God's hand out of the womb and say you're not going to do that, God. That's that's a big problem. So that's why it's a big deal. But you do raise a good secondary point. Yes, that's sinful for that doctor or that mother. Um, murder is a real concept, and I don't mind using that term. Now, where I, where I try to be cautious is I don't know that everyone who has an abortion, let's say when they're a young woman, is aware of that, is aware of what exactly it is because they have a culture telling them it's okay, it's a medical procedure, it's a healing cure, as we saw Dr. Potts say yesterday. So if you're a young girl and you really don't want this situation anyway, and people are telling you, medical professionals, perhaps your family, it's heal, It's a healing process. It's fine. It's legal. It's good. You could easily not understand exactly all the ramifications of what's happening. But the, but the lawyers working on this and the medical professionals, they've thought deeply about this. And I don't have a problem calling it murder. Pritchett? Yeah, and I, I just want to say it's still the... Well, you don't know what the tragedy of the life that never was lived is you, you we, we have no idea knowing the level of tragedy you know but it's still nonetheless a tra- tragedy and for me it's just the principle the the principle of it which i think it would be the same way in god's judgment on these kind of things is is it moral or wicked to murder in a barbaric fashion unborn innocent children babies Yes, that's wicked. Therefore, it doesn't. It's so my my answer to honestly atheist is yes plus because it's it's all around the tragedy. It, it doesn't it doesn't it's centered on the baby as well as the mother and the doctor. It's just all around bad. So it, it's all equally just horrific when you think about it. So Say more. yeah, the principle. Which is why, yeah, since we're talking no, about abortion. Anymore. No, I, I do okay. want to say this now that this is for everyone out there who gets sick of the pejoratives. I just tell people, yeah, I'm pro-birth because I know it annoys people because some pe- people want to hurl that at, 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 at pe- pro-lifers or whatever and say, you don't care what happens to the life of a baby after it's born. You can't say you're pro-life, blah, blah, blah. Okay, who cares? Let's say it's true that I don't care what happens to any baby the second it exits the womb, okay? Let, let's go back to the principle. 
Is it moral or wicked to murder in a barbaric fashion an unborn baby? Right. Yes or no? Because, yes, that's morally wicked and horrific. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything at all. My argument it doesn't hinge on what I feel like we should do charitably for to, to help life flourish after they exit the womb. Who cares? Irrelevant to the argument. So okay. as a matter of principle, which helps answer honest, honestly atheists, it's a matter of principle, so I don't have to center it on the uh, doctor or the mother. I can center it on all three, because just because the baby is going to heaven doesn't mean that it's all of a sudden less horrifically wicked and immoral and vile to barbarically murder unborn babies. Right, so, that's right. Yeah. Well, John Beavers asks a good question, um, which is related to something that we... Well, I want to go there. Well, eternity, the afterlife, be timeless as well, since Revelation says that God will be our light and there will be no night, thus no passage of days and therefore no passage of time. All right, so um, actually, I understand that People point to that. Now, first of all, insofar as Revelation includes imagery, and it tells us at the beginning of Revelation that it's going to include imagery mm -hmm. um, because it says here's the seven stars, the seven stars, the seven angels, and blah, blah, blah. So you have to, whatever position you take on Revelation, whether it's a future futurist, historicist, uh, partial preterist, idealist, whether you're a futurist and you take a pre-trib, mid-trib, whatever view of heaven you have or of Revelation you have, there is imagery, and it just depends on which things you're going to make the imagery. So insofar as some of that stuff may or may not be imagery, um, the, I want to point you to the fact that while it does say that what you're describing it says, it also says in Revelation 22, Then the angel showed me the river of water, life clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, down the middle of the great street, on each side of the, uh, of the river, stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every what? every month. So uh, clearly there's months and that's a passing of time. You make a good point, but just think about it right now. Let's just say that somehow the sun was gone and yet we were still alive here. Would well, we, would, we, we yes. wouldn't have a solar day, but we would still have time yeah. and we could still have 24 hours. So I just think that's an important thing um, to mention there. Um, all right. Uh, anything else? Let's see what else we have here. Okay, here's a good question. Gregory Fisher says, Are they, aren't they conceptualizing heaven or afterlife in material terms because they lack any other frame of reference? And doesn't that also demonstrate the vacuity of their position? Well, um, here's the thing. I conceptualize so, I know, Yeah, so there's somebody else who asks him in a minute, isn't heaven, uh, you know, heaven is how kind of we refer to the intermediate state right now. And of course, we always think of the, uh, the positive afterlife as heaven. But it's like N.T. Wright said, heaven's great, but it's not the end of the world. And what he meant by that was literally not the end of the world in that um, uh, Orthodox Christianity teaches that we will be resurrected, the earth will be resurrected, and we'll experience the new earth. And so we will have resurrected bodies on the new earth. So in other words, if Pritchett dies right now, which I hope he doesn't, uh, he will go to heaven. But ultimately, he will be raised and will live out on the new earth. And so I think that's uh, an important thing. So there is a material, I mean, it's a material world that they're going to have. But I do think where you're right, Gregory, is that they conceptualize uh, the afterlife as, as, as being exactly like what they have now. Um, in the sense that 
you couldn't have God do some of these things we said to resolve any possible problems. So good, good question. All right. Um, I think he said he was a barber too. Well, at one praise point the Lord in his life. Praise the Lord. All right. Here's a deep question. Here's a lengthy, deep question that's related to the last one. When the new earth is made, do you think it will have the current terraform and sea levels we have now or back when the earth was created, thus giving us more to explore and see? <laughs> Um, I, 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 I like the, I, I don't know about that specific. Nobody thing, knows except God, but I do have a hunch about, uh, future world building or universe building and universe exploring. I, I do think the idea of the constant going and going and going, um, more worlds to explore kind of thing. I'm, I'm partial to that. You know, do I have a proof text? No. But yeah, so I so, you know, I, I don't know, just like Bridget said, but, um, you know, there's a great popular level book uh, on heaven by Randy Alcorn and like the whole entire thing is speculation pretty much. Yeah. But one thing I do like about it is he he brought up the thing that, you know, look, God, God doesn't wouldn't want we wouldn't imagine God would want to destroy um, things that were exercises of creation that were good from the creativity that he put into man. And man has built some incredibly creative things like the Eiffel Tower, the Statue of Liberty, the Great Wall of China, things like this. And so is it possible that in, in on the new earth, God will keep some of those features? Possibly. Why not? Um, I always say this when I talk this way. It could be that 10,000 years from now, me and Pritchett are sitting in this exact spot. No, because God's totally going to wipe this building out. But um, <laughs> in the same spatial yeah, no position, and, of this <laughs> and building, say, right? isn't isn't this? Uh, is you remember all those thousands of years ago when we used to do uh, podcasts and YouTube videos here? So I think God could keep some of those things, and to that end, maybe He keeps more or less the the way it is right now. But in terms of more to explore, I think people have too much of a sitting on a cloud playing a harp view of the new Earth. It, 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 what we're experiencing now is real. That's going to be real. The garden was the archetype for this or the, or the prototype. And so I think it's fair to say, why would you not say that we have this whole, you know, atheists always ask, why would God create this whole universe, most of which is hostile to life? And then he put this little speck out here and that's all he really cared about. Well, how do you know what God has plans for in the end? We're already building spacecraft and going into space. Why, why not think that that space program will continue <laughs> in the new earth, in the new heaven, in the new yeah, earth? Yeah, and right? we're always speculating, assuming that you won't actually have to show up for work anywhere. Why think that even? Yeah. <laughs> that you won't have to have a job and do stuff. Yeah, and, and in terms of making it more earthy, because it is, I, I don't know the problem with... I mean, I was just saying that because you're speaking of that garden. They were given... Jobs. Yeah, work. Yeah. And the thing is, Works like, good for there's you. nothing wrong. Like there, we say there's no pain, no suffering in heaven. Well, suffering, I mean, there is something good about a hard day's work and then your muscles kind of ache. I mean, I've never done this, but I've heard, I've heard about you know, these sorts of things. And you sweat. Workout. I've never sweat, but I, I know it's a thing. And, and they, you know, there's something good about that feeling of a hard day's work. So I don't know that that won't be true in heaven. Why wouldn't it be true? Yeah. Um, I'm going to I'm going to head down. I'm still looking for some more questions. Listen, there's a lot of people watching right now and I'll tell you what. It really would help me if you'd subscribe. We are we are over 9,000 subscribers. I want to get to 10. You say, "Well, is that spiritual?" I don't know, but I want to do it. So, help us out to get us to 10,000. Um 
Uh, yeah, okay, here's a here's a super chat that I missed. Pigs Can Fly says, Atheists completely forget the fact that we're talking about separation from the source of goodness. Ain't no rest for the wicked, though. Amen. Amen. Thank you for that super chat. Cosine. Remember that when that was a thing? What? Cosine. We no. <laughs> What's that? It used that? to be an internet forum thing. Like when you agreed with whoever said something, you wrote cosine. Oh, really? Cosine. You weren't on internet forums. Maybe we should bring that back. Then. Oh, look here. Mike Winger's here. Thanks, everyone. By the way, don't read Boyd's book. It's terrible. I'm sorry. I know Mike has strong feelings about yeah, that Yeah, that's the dumbest thing you could say. Obviously, you didn't read that book, Mike. I'm sorry. That book is an incredible piece of work that I don't... Not a joke. Too much to explain. Yeah, here. that's ridiculous, Mike. Now, he can't, like he can't respond to you I know. Don't say... It's, that's... that's just because you do, I already said my piece. I don't agree with it, but you can't just say it's a terrible book. Hey, here's a question for Pritchett. If he had to accept Calvinism or open the, they're saying this because I asked, I answered this question. A terrible book is like the God delusion where even atheists are like, yeah, that's a terrible book. But there's that book's not terrible. Mike, it's a, I think it's an exhilarating read, even though I don't agree with it. It's a lot of good scholarship. The bibliography is very useful to have a lot of agreeable stuff on the way. Okay. All right. So, uh, this, question that comes up because on Craig Reed's video the other day, I think the same person asked me and, and I gave my answer. So here it is for you. If you had to accept Calvinism or open theism, by the way, for those that don't know, Calvinism is a determinist version of Christianity and open theism is an understanding of Christianity where God does not at least exhaustively know future events. Which do you think is more defensible? Uh, yeah, that was a good question from yesterday. So go ahead. Like <sighs> biblically, philosophically defensible, whatever. Mm. I think they're both equally defensible. Which one, if I had to accept one? Oh, that's a tough question. I think they're, I, I, I think, uh, probably open theism. I think, I think that's, a, they, the, you could probably, if you had to argue and defend one, I think open theism is more defensible exegetically than Calvinism. But so, yeah, I'd have to go with that one. What did you say? Open theism is probably that's more what defensible I said. I said it was defensible because there are flat. If you just take a, a simple reading right. of the text, it sounds like God doesn't know something. Right. And even though I think it's wrong and there's something that really makes me queasy about it, I yeah. really don't like it. Um, and I think it's false when you take the totality of Scripture. And, and it's, I don't know. I mean, I, and I like, and I also think philosophic. Well, theologically, it makes more sense of ne the good nature. Calvinism, of God. I think, is more defensible theologically, just not exegetically. I think open theism is more defensible exegetically, though probably not theologically. But I, I, I guess exegesis trumps theology. Uh, I guess I don't know. I, I think I would have an easier time arguing. Uh, for open theism, but I reject, you know, you don't have to accept either one, which is the good news. So reject both. Mike Winger said a minute ago in the chat that he doesn't want to, and this was a while ago because we've been chatting, but he doesn't want to derail the conversation. So he'll just listen from here. Mike, you are always free to say whatever yeah, you want on this channel. It's just, just terrible, but that's a bit. No, but hold on. I just want you to know, you're always free to say whatever you want. Yeah. We don't censor people. I just might disagree with it. I love you, Mike. You know that. But that, that book's, I, I loved that book. That book was great. And I, yeah, I uh, don't agree with it. But Here's a good a, question. A this book. involves speculation, but Eddie says, what form will an aborted baby take in heaven? Um, you know, I, there, there's nothing that tells us exactly, but the speculation that I've heard all my life that I think makes some sense 
is that if we will be the optimum like example of God's create, like there won't be anything wrong with us, right? No yeah. deficiency. Then it makes sense to think that we will appear between the ages of 25 and 35 in heaven because that's when human beings are at their optimum. Have I heard your dad say that? State. I don't know, but he, he told me that growing up and I think that's a pretty good guess. So babies, old people, everyone about, you know, that, that makes sense to me. I don't know. Yeah, that's a good question. I always wonder about the uh, the resurrected body. Uh, honestly, Atheist says, thank you for the comprehensive response. Um, I'm still looking for more questions. Here's a question. I don't even know what it's going to say. Let's see. What do you think of Dr. Randall Rouser's interpretation of the Old Testament events? See, I'm, it's kind of the same thing as Greg. Boy I don't know exactly how his view differs from Boyd's. And I don't even remember exactly Rouser's view, but just like I don't like Boyd's answer and think that it's false and um, does damage to the uh, inerrancy of Scripture, um, even on my view of inerrancy, I think uh, Rouser. Oh, come on. I, th- I, 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 I don't. Well, it does. It, you can still say it's a good book, but I, I think that's a dangerous thing about it. But um, no, I, I, no I, I don't. I don't know. So. Rouser said something I've heard Rouser say, give his view before. And I don't remember what it was, but I remember whatever it was. It rubbed me a similar way. I don't even know what his view is. Are you guys mostly open? The, I don't, you, it's like, are, did somebody say that? Yes. Yeah, so right below that. Are you guys mostly open? Theists? No, we're 0%. We have no open 0% open theists, yeah, 0% no, Calvinists. Um, people think, listen, you're going to run into people in theological circles, mostly Calvinists and open theists who are going to say, if you're not one, you're the other, you have to be like, they'll recognize that you don't state those terms. But the, the reason is because Calvinists think that the reason God knows what's going to happen in the future perfectly is because he's going to determine it all. And he's already ordained it all like down to the movement of every molecule. Open theists think that the reason you have many of them, the reason you have free will is because God doesn't know necessarily what you're going to do. Because if God knows that you're going to choose um, to eat meal X at time T, then you have to. But that is a misunderstanding that both of those views share. The, that, there's nothing impressive about foreknowledge on that view. What's impressive about foreknowledge is God knows what you will freely do. That's, that's what's impressive. Right, Bridget? I think so. I okay. was just saying I think exegetically I could defend open theism better than I could Calvinism. I think theologically I could defend Calvinism but like I said, they're both wrong, so you don't have to accept either. But um, they're, I don't know, a lot of people get up in arms about one or the other or both, and I don't get up in arms about either. They're fine. Who cares? Dr. Gildo says, should have already been at 10,000. Thank you, Dr. Gildo. Appreciate that. Everybody's psyched that Mike Winger is here. You know, I, Mike and I talk. He's waiting for. Text he's every hoping day. that we get off so that we don't crowd his space. That's so probably we, we need to bugger <laughs> off so that we don't get, you know. Isn't that like a cuss word in Great Britain? Maybe. Excuse my <laughs> British. Alvin Plantinka's bulldog says, "Braxton, get off, you, know? you are a Molinist. Why think uh, counterfactuals of creaturely freedom have truth values? Why think they are knowable?" What do you think of Hasker, Swinburne, and Van Inwagen's arguments in favor of this? Um, I think it is, well, first of all, I think that future events have truth values because God talks in the Bible at least about some future events. 
as having truth as being true or not. This yeah. is what's going to happen. So God gives us. So that if, part if I get from special happens, revelation. This will happen. Well, is he right or wrong? So yeah. that's my answer to all of that. Yeah. Um, all right. Let's uh, see anything else here. Uh, Trinity Radio. What do you think about C.S. Lewis view um, in the great divorce where people from hell can visit heaven? So I actually know, and it would probably shock Jonathan Pritchett to know people. And I'll tell him after the stream is over. Um, some people that I know that are actually pretty well known. <laughs> who who hold that view? I don't see the biblical support for that. The idea that so there's a book by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce, and it's um it's a great book. Um, I don't know if Mike Winger would would support it, but it's a great <laughs> book. And what happens is people get on a bus, they've died, they get on a bus, and they go. And as they're traveling on this bus, it's taking them through the afterlife, and they see that uh, Napoleon's off in this house that um, is way off on its own, and. Uh, once it was told that two guys traveled out there to see what he was doing and all he did was pace back and forth through his house for thousands of years and everybody's miserable like there's not fire and brimstone but everybody's just miserable and like you can eat food but it's nah, it's not satisfying <laughs> nothing's good right. everybody's always complaining and if you stay on the bus long enough you can actually go to heaven you can go to heaven, whoever you are. Yeah, you get there and you don't like it. Everything's tough it's terrible. and real, and you're just like, you don't like that either. And it's, you're not made for it yet. You're yeah. not appropriate for it. And so, like, when you try to stand on the grass, it's like daggers sticking up at your feet. Yeah. And uh, when you first come in, you're very small. You just came through a little crack in the ground, and everything's, like, giant around you. And you step on a river and, like, get swept away because you can't sink down into the river because you're not solid enough. And this goes back to C.S. Lewis's view that that this is what's real. Like heaven is more real than earth is, right. is the thing, which I actually conceptually have problems with, but I like the, I, I like the, the, um, what he's trying to get at, right. Is that you're, you're so weak and not real enough. You can't, you can't even sink down into water in yeah, heaven. It sweeps you away. Making, uh, making it a thought it's an allegory like, or well, something. it's, it, it's the idea of a, the bus trip from hell to heaven to, make you think about this world issues yeah you know so i mean you know but you said you know people that believe that this i mean is it, is it logically yeah it's entirely possible that happens and no there's no proof text well not not, not that whole not that with all the trappings yeah. and everything but the idea that that you could eventually the, you could the go love wins you thing to. at any time that you wanted to go repent, from hell to heaven yeah, you post, could but you're not yeah. ready for it but you can get ready for it yeah. and i ditch that idea i don't think that's right look yeah, there I, I we, we talked with steve Gregg about this the other day and he was not entirely on board with where we're at either but no, no. i i just think that look when you when th there are warning passages in the bible that i think we take seriously not just because you could be facing a bad existence for a long time but because there is a coming judgment and then there is death and so you could take that death to be eternal conscious torment because of the fire and flame passages and the everlasting or it, could, that, be or it could be death death but in either way it's bad it's not good and there's no escape or as as chris date would say it means what it says right okay uh let's keep going any other questions we have here uh, you know, people ask me about, oh, here's, here's a punch bowl haircut says, hey. how can I harmonize verses that say God is our shield and Jesus teaching? We will have tribulation and persecution solely soteriologically. Well, soteriologically, you're, you're not going to, I mean, soteriologically, as long as you're, I mean, okay. From an eternal security perspective, Soteriologically, if you're saved, you're saved. 
and from a uh, perspective where, like an Arminian perspective, where you could um, apostatize and and get out of Christ, it doesn't happen just because you sinned enough that you you know you forgot to be saved or something. It's that you apostatize, you you walk out of Christ, you you are no longer in Christ. So so long as you don't defect is the terminology that Arminians use. You don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Pritchett, anything else you want to add to no, that? No, I agree with that. And thank you for that substantial super chat. Yeah. I really appreciate that. Uh, here's a question. What do you think of Michael Heiser's view that the us and our in Genesis is in reference to God and the angels instead of the Trinitarian persons? You know, I'm actually agnostic. I know there's people that are not going to like this. I'm agnostic about what exactly that means um, because I, I used to say that that was because of the Trinitarian nature of God. And I actually still am happy with that. But I understand that. Uh, and this is inspired by God, right? And he knows there's a Trinity, but there's, we do seem to see a developmental understanding of the nature of God throughout the Bible. And so I understand that. Um, so, but to my mind, it's not about the angels, although it could be so much as it is either the Trinitarian nature of God, which I still tend to lean toward myself, or, um, sometimes they would pluralize, uh, sometimes ancients would pluralize, uh, the name of someone or the pronouns and things like that associated to someone as a way of maximizing respect to show that we, that, that there's a greater respect here than, than everybody else. Pritchett. Yeah. I'm agnostic on it too. But when you say God and the angels, it, like you said, God knows what kind of God yeah. he is. So that would include Trinity anyway. So I don't, but uh, you know, do I think that, it's original audience or, or were people theologically finding that there? Um, I think both are fine. I don't mind theological readings of scripture. So I don't, I don't see a problem with that. Cause um, you're right. I mean, Trinitarian theology developed. I mean, people will say, well, it developed after the Bible. Well, no, you can find, you know, the concept of the Trinity in the Bible even if you don't find the words, so I mean, those kind of arguments, uh, you know, John. It, um, so I was just saying, John, I don't have a problem reading back into the Old Testament a theological idea that you get from the New Testament because you know. John says, "Do atheists have a reason to do what they believe to be the right thing to do over what they desire most to do, which conflicts with that? If they are equally torn, what's the reason?" So yes. Uh, I think everyone so well okay so if an atheist wants most to do a particular thing and I and I think we would have to include morality because you're asking me like would they want to obey God or not obey God or or do they want to uh, well if they know it's the right thing to obey God then they're probably not an atheist so it must be that you're asking a moral question so like they they know that the right thing is to help the little old lady across the street but they really would rather go into the Starbucks or something like that do they have a reason yeah First of all, they I, I, they don't have any ultimate reason, right? Because that would just take us back to the morality debates. We don't believe that they have an object. They don't even believe they have an objective basis for morality in general. There are um, non-natural moral realists out there, but but in general, um, they don't even believe they have an objective basis for morality. So ultimately, no. But do they have a reason? Yeah, they have a reason. Is that what you said? Reason? They have a reason? Yeah, they have a reason because we believe that God put morality on their heart. And so there are going to be motivating factors there. Like, 
I want to help that little old lady across the street. And even Calvinists will say that people aren't as depraved as they could be only because of the grace of God. So they might want to help the little lady across the street for more or less on a human level, the same reasons you would want to help a little old lady across the street. I mean, I don't think that all of us think consciously every time we do something like that. Oh, I don't want to do this. And so I don't think I will, but God wants me to. So I will. We just, we just do right. Because that's, we recognize the nature of morality and we have a conscience. And so we do that. And unbelievers have consciences in the same way. The fact that they may not have an ultimate reason doesn't mean they have a reason. And in fact, they do have an ultimate reason, whether they know they have an ultimate reason or not. So I think that's the answer. But it does take us back to the moral place where what makes the best sense out of all of that? Well, God does. Um, let's see what else we have. Super Another super chat. chat. Thank you so much, Eric. Veer Taylor, maybe Veer Thaler, something 92. Uh, thoughts on behemoth and Leviathan mentioned in Job and are you pro evolution? Um, I'm definitely not pro evolution, but you know, I get in trouble when I use my standard phrase that I haven't used in a while. I don't affirm evolution, but if I find out evolution is true, it's not going to hurt me at all because my understanding of the nature of Genesis one, though I could be wrong, allows would allow for something like that. I just remain unconvinced. Um, and people always throw a fit when I say that. But that's where I'm at. People on both sides. But yet you say it. But but, but I, you told me to stop saying my thing. Well, I'm just, you know. Uh, Behemoth and Leviathan, there's a passage. Evolution's pretty stupid. There's a passage opinion. in. That's my thing. There's a passage in Job that he's referring to. Our passages in Job that refer to these creatures, the behemoth and the Leviathan, and talks about the tail like a tree and all these kind of things. And so um, young earth creationists have long said that this is to, must be talking about dinosaurs, but it could well be talking about something like an alligator or um, a crocodile or or even something else. So I don't know. If I was a young earth creationist, I probably would Or they're spend mythical a lot of time. creatures. That's another... Like that he's using poetically? That, 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 that I mean, like um, that Old Testament scholars will talk about. They're just like... The idea is that what of, you think? Huh? Is that what you think? Uh, it's possible. It's like God's little pets, you know. It's, it, I mean, because there's these ideas of these kinds of beastly creatures, you know, swimming under the pillars of the earth and all that in the ancient world, and they're just picking them up. Trinity Radio, what is your opinion on Dr. Heiser's view that God was betrayed by the divine council and became God? You know, we get a lot of, of questions about what Heiser thinks about this. And what Heiser, well, he's got, he's got a popular view that is very interesting. I am skeptical of his understanding of the divine council. Um, I don't I don't necessarily have a problem with the because what he does is say that Elohim, which we typically take to mean God and is often translated as God, but it is a plural term again, possibly pluralizing for the nature of respect. But he thinks that Elohim or El is just a term that basically for any supernatural being is what I understand it to mean. Um, and, and of course God is a supernatural being. So God is, but also some of these others. And so when you have the quote unquote gods of other religions, uh, it's supernatural beings. Now the, um, you know, Paul talks about that these gods of other religions being demons and things like that. But, uh, and I think that's true. I think that well, Paul also says they're nothing. We know that they're not. Yeah. Anything. But I for, think, I, I think that there are, well, you wouldn't think that there's a substantial religion going on that there's not demonic activity within right. the very least. Yeah, yeah. 
So I, I think, you know, I think that much is true and his view overlaps mine on that. So if you're largely convinced by Heiser, I don't think there's any problem with that view that if that, that because, because insofar as you think demons are angels that rebelled, well, then you've pretty well got the same setup as far as that goes. Yeah. For everything, I don't know. I haven't actually read a lot of Heiser, so I, that's why I'm glad that you have. Um, but everything that I know about Heiser and, and everything that I've heard when I've listened to the occasional play, he's harmless. So if you agree with what he's saying, there's. That's the but thing. just like with open like theism, evangelicals get nervous about certain yeah, things I do. that are new. I get yeah. okay. Here's the thing. Let me say this. Wait, if people agree well, with it, fine. If they don't agree with it, fine. Well, no, it's it, not it, the, but but here's the thing. I, this is where you and I have always disagreed a little bit. Yeah. Which is, and I, and maybe where I'm I'm somewhere between you and Mike on this is we are giving. We, there are people in this for some reason, Pritchett. <laughs> there are people watching us that care what we think, and will take what we think. That, like as trustworthy, right? So when we say a book is good or something, they oh, this is kind of approved. I, I remember someone said that about when I recommended the uh, autobiography of Benjamin Franklin. And like, well, it wasn't written by a Christian, so I wasn't going to read it. But now I'm going to read it because it's written by, because Braxton thinks it's good to read. Wait, so somebody I, said that they weren't going to read a book because it wasn't written by a Christian? Yeah. Well, because I was, because it was, I think it was just because they were spending their time reading Christian books. At that but, particular time? Yeah. Know, because yeah. you should go read David. But, but the thing about it is... Okay. They, they take what we say seriously. So Good. Then read books written by non-Christians. Okay. Read books written by liberal Christians. And read books written by secular biblical okay, scholars. And but, read all of it. Okay, but okay. I don't have a problem with read books by non-Christians. I don't have a problem read books by conservative, theologically conservative Christians. When it comes to liberal Christians, and I don't even know that we would call Greg Boyd a liberal Christian, but those, I are, those are ideas that would that would that would you wouldn't find among most conservative. And so I would say about books like that, be aware that we think those ideas are wrong and shouldn't be believed, but that doesn't mean you can't know that it's there and be familiar with it so that you can be a better theologian or apologist or whatever that that's the only thing there yeah see but here's my problem with with a lot of the i mean if you ask me what my opinion is of greg boyd i don't agree with his open theism i don't agree with his cruciform hermeneutic i don't but you know uh i think people ever if you're interested in hermeneutics and you're interested in new testament use of the old testament you're interested in what there's a lot of good information in that book that's helpful the bibliography is helpful now his book on doubt is a great book yeah great book I was saying I don't agree with much of anything Nietzsche says, but I love to read. It's, it's, this is, I don't. Here, here, I've read. Uh, I have like, read a much. Yeah, you of didn't what, enjoy him, but I mean, no, not, I, I not enjoy, your cup of tea. No, but, no, no. It. I don't enjoy. I didn't enjoy. Uh, thus saith Zoethusa. This is my problem with churchy evangelicalism. Now that we since we've been on this, this is my problem. Here comes a rant. Your favorite scholars, your favorite people, they read the books, okay? All of your favorite YouTubers, they read the books by Christians, by non-Christians, by liberal scholars, by conservative scholars, by the whole gamut, by atheists, by... They read all that stuff, right? But there's this idea that, man, we need to protect everyone else and not let them read. We need to steer them away from those books because well, we'll enjoy them and we know how to filter the good ideas from the bad. We don't want to harm anybody else by this book banning nonsense and I'm against it. Well, you have to show wisdom in when someone should read a particular thing, too. I mean... Mm -hmm. If my wife is experiencing serious doubt about the truth of Christianity, I'm not going to throw her 
God's not no, great. No, I get that, but like, we are know. also educators. And I, I just think that, you know, we have colleges now that have great books, tradition, where you're going to read Darwin, you're going to read, you're going to read a lot of, you know. Yeah, sure. You're going to read, read a lot of non-Christian thinkers. You're going to read a lot of pagan literature going back to Homer, mm-hmm. right? Well, the, the idea of like a great books curriculum in college used to be like people's early education curriculum in, in, until Americans became dumber and dumber and dumber. So at least the, those who did go to, to, to school, like the classical education model. Have uh, any one of so you read I, I or heard about... This, this is not a conversation that would have existed among Christians until like contemporary evangelicalism. No, but I do think the conversation... And this may be something I've arrived at just thinking about it here. Mm. The conversation that would have emerged is, is it the right time for little Johnny to read whatever, you know? Um, but you're right. We're it, it, educationally. It's sure, but I mean, when we're talking, our we we click the button that this is not for kids. That's true. Our uh, <laughs> most of our uh, audience is most of our audience is men between the ages of 25 and 35. Ladies, thank you for being here. Yeah. So I mean, and old people. We're all adults and here, teenagers. and I consider I mean, adolescence and teenage and all of that stuff's in American fiction. But I mean, you're if you're 16, 15 years old or older. I, I'm. I don't know this this idea that oh okay. don't read that book. Raphael Pompolin says, "Have any of you read or heard about the book Corrupting the Image of God by Doug Hamp? I haven't. Never heard of it. Sorry, I read it because it was a question, but I don't. Um, let's see. Anything else? We're getting close to caught up here. Oh, here's another pigs can fly. Man, thank you again for the super yes. chats. What uh, what does it take to get a wrench? Also, I'm a married man with a wife and three kids. I just like this picture of what appears to be an angel. Uh, that is helpful because I've never known. Um, yeah, I'll tell you what. I have to find the actual YouTube page. But you, as my, I mean, you have demonstrated your appreciation for the channel by constantly uh, giving substantial super chats. Not that that's required to get a wrench, but... Um, what is a wrench? It means that they're an admin or a moderator. So there you go. All right, let's keep trucking here. Uh, see what else we can get to. It's funny that that, that would be the thing because was, I was thinking to myself, what does it take to get a wrench? Because I was walking around <laughs> here all day yesterday and begging Andy, you know, I can't find a wrench around here. I needed a wrench to put together some stuff. So it's uh, like, I so appreciate all these super chats. So what does it take to get a wrench? I was thinking the exact same thing. What do you guys think about the rod? Will God spare it? Um, I, now, okay. I think you're asking me, what do I think about corporal punishment? Like spanking your kids. If that's the name of a book or a movie or something, I don't know. Um, but I'll, this is going to be controversial. But I'm going to tell you. Uh, one of the great things, I just finished uh, 12 Rules for Life. By the way, I haven't spanked either of my kids in years. Um, uh, so, you know, I don't think that I'm, if you're totally against it, don't think, oh, this wicked guy. But here's the thing. Um, I, uh, I just finished 12 Rules for Life by Jordan Peterson. And he's a polarizing figure, so you either love him or hate him. But he had this whole section about this. And obviously, you don't want to do anything that will, like, seriously hurt your kids or anything or, or bruise them or something. But... But um, he, he pointed out that the same path when, when we like, you know, when you put a, a prisoner in solitary confinement, um, that that is like incredibly damaging psychologically. 
And if you really want someone to go insane, you know what you can do? Put them in solitary confinement and tell them they'll never get out for the rest of their life. If you tell them they'll get out at some point in the future, they have a little bit of hope. And this speaks to the power of hope, that that little bit of hope will keep them sane. But if you tell them they'll never get out, they'll go crazy fast. That's a really weird thing. It speaks to the value of hope, but it also speaks to what, happen, what, what happens when you put someone in isolation. Now, obviously, that's an extreme example. Um, but when you talk about in the home, uh, you think you're doing something more PC or not as dangerous or not as bad for your kid if you send your kid to, their, to stand in the corner for 10 minutes or go to their room uh, for an hour instead of just spanking them and being done with it. Um, he, he goes through this whole section where he's talking about how um, the same pathways in the brain are affected by both of those. And so it's just as psychologically damaging. Now, obviously not if you go overboard with one or the other. But I just think that's an important thing uh, to keep in mind. Pritchett, you want to add anything to that? Nope. See, in my, fa- in my house, um, we had a saying, a whipping's what your mama gives you, and you'll get over that. But a whooping's what your daddy gives you, and you don't ever get over that. I had whoopings, and I'm not over them. But guess what? I'm glad for it because it made me a better man. Yeah, amen. Um, oh boy, I just made a bunch of people mad. Even Pritchett was scared to weigh in on that one. <laughs> No, I I spanked my kids. I got spanked. I don't resent my parents for spanking me. I deserved every one of them. And they probably needed to spank me more. Uh, Brad from Carolina, thank you for that incredible super chat, man. Thank you so much. Everybody go check out his channel. He's a YouTuber. God bless you, men. Props to Daniel Apologetics as well. Yeah, yeah. every time he weighs in, he says something about Daniel Apologetics, and he should because Daniel Apologetics is awesome. Go, Go check out his channel, too. Um, let's see any other questions. I know we're going to have some stuff on, on spare the rods, spoil the child thing here in a minute. Um, let's see. Uh, no questions, no questions. Well, it is like two forty. We have gone a long time. Yeah, we have. Oh, you guys are great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Pigs can fly. Um, let's see. Uh, Trinity radio. How do you respond to the infinite regress in regards to the, Kalam. Don't you have whole videos on that? Well, it, there's nothing to respond. Uh, that that the infinite re, the pointing the problem with the infinite regress that one is impossible is one of the things we offer in support of premise two of the Kalam that the universe began to exist because it can't go back infinitely into the past. It's not a challenge to um, the Kalam. So that's and maybe you want to reframe that, but that's the answer to that. Uh, let's see. Uh, super chat here. Let's see. Um, uh, it's the book by Joey Faust about Christians going to hell for a thousand years for taking the mark of the wicked life on earth. Okay. I, okay. That must be what spare the rod. I answered completely wrong. Then it was a book. I don't know anything about that book. Sorry. I wish I could help you. Okay. So you answered a question that wasn't asked. I, I, it's a <laughs> good question. Spare the rod, spoil it's a the good child, question. Right? I said, Hey, this might just be yeah. a book title. Yeah. Um, all right. So we've come to the end of this thing. Listen, I want to tell you something. I appreciate every one of you, whether you gave a super chat or not, but thank you so much to those that gave a super chat. I I really do uh, appreciate it. It's so helpful to us and um, allows us to make the show better. I've got big plans for making the show better in the not so distant future. And if you are not, why don't I hear the music? I don't hear the music. Where's my music? I don't know. But anyway, anyway, I, uh, I, I, I've appreciated you all so much. And listen, um, we'll stick around and, and see what else is said. 
Thank you all for your questions. Thank you for being here. It's been a great number of people for us in the uh, in the chat. So, um, so I appreciate that. And we'll see you next time on Trinity Radio. Yes, Glenn, every Friday at 1 o'clock. Actually, I don't know if you could hear me just then. Every Friday at 1 o'clock, we do a stream. Thank you for being here.